So hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Movie Digest. I'm JQ. And I'm Finn. And this week is our top five directorial debuts. So welcome back ladies and gentlemen to Studio 2. Studio 2. Trip B. Call me by Bo. Indeed. Um, so that's why it might sound a little bit different to our normal dulcet tones. <laughs> uh, no clomping of feet in the background. Um, so I decided to choose directorial debuts because I was flicking around on Netflix the other day and I watched a film called The Legend of Barney Thomas. Ever heard of that? No. It's Robert Carlyle's first film. Oh, right, okay. From 2015. Okay. So I'll come to that in the review section at the end, but then I thought, let's do... It was on my list of things to do. The master list. The master list. Um, Shall I go first? Yeah, yeah, please. So (laughs) I decided to choose films that are, I suppose, fairly big-ish films. Okay. Um, Apart from one or two, but that have had most impact on me. Yeah. Um, So not, well, the first one's, the first one's Citizen Kane, because everyone goes, oh, Citizen Kane, it's the best film ever made. But if you think about it, what he achieved at the time was pretty revolutionary. So he took all these little techniques that he'd seen and put them into one film. So as a as a first film, it will probably be what would be the equivalent of that today in terms of a technical feat, like something like say The Matrix was your first. Well, film. that was the one that sprung to mind, and that really? that's not their directorial debut, no. which I excuse. That was their second feature film yeah, so after imagine... Bound. But yeah, in terms of like the the amount that I mean that literally changed the, the landscape of cinema. Exactly. Didn't it? Yeah. So. Yeah. That's one. That's one on there. But we've talked about that one before. <laughs> so number four is Attack the Block. It's a great show by Craig Cornish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Such a good film. I think my favourite thing about it is the aliens because mm. they're completely black. Yeah. And it takes a lot to have a new take on something we've seen hundreds of times before. How do you make the monster scary? It's scary when you don't see it, and yeah. literally you don't see it. I thought that was a really brilliant idea, and obviously he's it's just—I mean, aesthetically, though, I thought it was such a good-looking film, and mm. obviously now because it stars John Boyega, who's gone on to be yeah. in Star Wars and stuff. It's but, a slightly successful career out of that, <laughs> But I just, to me, it was a lot of British cinema. I think, especially in that kind of genre, because there aren't that many films made in that. They just no. look a bit cheesy and a bit not well made, and yeah. stuff. But everything about the, the execution of that film, I think, is brilliant yeah um, really good fantastic film. film great cast a simple story well done yeah it looks good like yep. it, it makes south london estates <laughs> look amazing uh, it's it's terrific film it's such a good film. if you haven't watched it then fool you are a fool i really hope as well that he because joe cornish obviously was was involved with quite a lot of different films mm. whilst never making that many yeah so he was involved with edgar wright's ant-man yep. writing it for a number of years yeah um I think he also wrote, along with Edgar Wright, uh, Tintin for Steven Spielberg. Yes, he did, yeah. Um, and there's a couple of films that he's done that I just, I, I wouldn't see him make more movies. Does he got anything in the pipeline? I think, I can't remember off the top of my head if there's anything that he's been officially put on with, but there might be things in the pipeline, mm. yeah. So that was number four. Number three, I'm sure this is going to be a crossover. Moon. No. No? No. Oh, you got a... Moon is such a good film. Listening to the Nerdist podcast with Sam Rockwell the other day. Um, he's literally one of my favourite actors, I, I think. I will watch he's anything just, he's in, yeah, I will watch. I, I agreed. I'm, I'm exactly the same. I think he's fantastic. And he was saying that they were, right now, supposed to be shooting Galaxy Quest. But 
they're not. Galaxy Quest. Remember Galaxy Quest with Tim Allen and Alan Rickman? Yeah. Yeah, they were making a TV series out of it for Netflix or Amazon. Oh, really? Yeah, but they're not now. Is that because Alan Rickman died? Yeah, and Tim Allen couldn't do it either, so... All right. That will fell for it, which is a shame, because that was such a good film, which I'm going to have to rewatch. But... I, I, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, and I don't remember thinking it was incredible, but it's got there's a oh, lot... It's a bit of a cult old, movie. Yeah, like it's slightly older, because yeah. you probably didn't have Star Trek, the original Star Trek... Yeah, like I do. You would have had Next Generation. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, slightly different times. Yeah. But yeah, Moon is such a good film. Moon is phenomenal. I, I, as well, like that's another British director who's who had an, a stunning debut. Yeah, and then made Source Code, which I think is quite an underrated yeah. film as well. It's I'm a terrific it. movie. It's really, really good. <clears throat> um, it's an interesting sci-fi movie, much like Moon is. Yeah, and then because he's been working for about four or five years now on Warhammer. Yeah, and the trailer's just. No, oh, I'm just not that interested by it at no, all. No, I, I keep seeing that trailer and just thinking, got no interest. Yeah, at all because um, every time I walk past one of those games workshops, I shout no. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not really for me. Uh, number two on my list. This is Spinal Tap. Ah, oh, that's the first crossover. <laughs> oh, I didn't realise it was a directorial debut. Until yeah, I yeah. Into it. Has Rob Rainer actually done that much since? I think he has, but you just don't really know what it is. Yeah, they're all quite underground movies yeah, and stuff, Yeah, so aren't he's they? not like a famous director. He's actually, in a lot of regards, probably more famous for his acting stuff and his writing than and, his, and his directing. Dad. Yeah. Carl Reiner. Um, it was a critical flop at the time, mm-hmm. a financial flop, Spinal Tap, but it's such, such a good film. I, mean, I, I think, so this is... Part of what we were saying just before we came on the podcast was I was telling you about how I, I didn't tell you what was on my list, but I was yeah. telling you how I came up with it. And I had a short list of about 60 that I tried to get <laughs> down. Um, and I, I'm trying to pick films that mean a lot to me personally, but also mm-hmm. films that have some sort of hefty impact on cinema at yeah. large. And I just think that kind of what you would call now a mockumentary. Or oh, rockumentary. Rockumentary. But like <laughs> the pinnacle of that, like that kind of like tongue-in-cheek so clever it hurts yeah kind of comedy pastiche of something the benchmark forever is this is spinal the tap office without spinal tap i don't think you'd have a lot of modern comedy yeah. without spinal tap it's, yeah. it's such a, a landmark film in cinema for, in that kind of genre and it's just a phenomenal film absolutely phenomenal and if you haven't watched it listeners with the DVD with the director with the director's commentary on it. It's 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 a treat because it's an entirely different movie. <laughs> yeah, One where they're all too, they're all in character. Yeah. yeah. As yeah. Doing... Oh, look, there's Ian again. <laughs> Surprised to see his hands in his own pocket. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. The 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 commentary when the the, the airport scene's going on, <laughs> where he gets um uh you know patted down and they yeah. find the the, <laughs> the cucumber the cucumber wrapped up in tinfoil. But like the 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 chat over that bit's absolutely incredible. <laughs> How do they wrap it in for? <laughs> oh, definitely go and see that if you haven't seen it. Uh, number one for me is Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, it's on my list as yeah, well. I think so good. It that's the first one that came to mind. Yeah, like without trying to you know cross reference list and make sure you haven't missed anything off. Yeah, and it seems like an obvious choice, but there's a reason for that because it's just it's so achingly cool. And again, mm-hmm. that's that's a landmark of modern yeah. cinema I'd say you know the last like 25 years or whatever that's yeah. that's definitely one of the best films and it, it's even better I mean it's a great film in its own right but when you know everything else that goes around Reservoir Dogs and how it was made and the yeah. production problems and stuff 
that he basically couldn't get funding for it. So he's yeah. like, well, I'm just going to write it almost like a stage play. And the, the, a good story done well with a great cast, it doesn't matter what you're doing, it's engaging. And it's just phenomenal. And a heist movie without the heist. It, which, again, is brilliant. Genius. Just subverting its own <laughs> genre. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. I remember studying it when I was at college. Um, so I saw it when I was 16. Pulp Fiction was out at the time. That was like 94. Yeah, uh, no, it was called 96. Oh, right. Because okay. it wasn't out on VHS. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was difficult to get hold of because I yeah. was underage. But, um, yeah, yeah. But of course, when we were at college, we copied the whole slow-mo walking along a wall thing. Who hasn't done that? We couldn't even do slow-mo, so we just had to strobe it. <laughs> we could put a strobe, so it was just us going... Duh, duh, duh. <laughs> Oh God, you guys don't know how good you got it technology-wise now. Yeah. You can do anything you like. So that's my top five. It's, it's a pretty solid top five. Um, yeah, we've got two crossovers, which, I, yeah, there's no way around it. Because no. <laughs> I was trying to preempt as well some of yeah. the ones that I thought might be on your I list. I thought Moon was guaranteed to be a crossover. No. No? no. Oh, yes. Unusual. For me. Um, okay, so number five for me is Donnie Darko. Yes, I did think about that one. Which... It's interesting that sometimes, I think sometimes you get this with bands as well. Yeah. An idea or a concept or songs that a band or a director have been sitting on their whole life, they finally get the money to make their movie. So another good example in films is uh, Bindock Saints, for yeah. the exact same reasons. Um, and they make it, and it is so fresh and different that it just becomes this cult film straight away or a cult album, whatever it is. Yeah. And then they're given license and money to make whatever they want next. But their ego goes so through the roof <laughs> that what they make next is just like, that's just confusing. Like, what what, what did they that? make next? I can't remember. So Southland Tales was the follow-up. I know the name, but I can't It's got The Rock in it. It's got <laughs> okay. Sarah Michelle Gellar, Sean William Scott. And I can't actually remember that much about it. I just remember thinking, this is diabolical. Right. And the weird thing is as well about Donnie Darko, the, the, the cin- cinematic cut yeah is astonishingly good yeah the director's cut is dreadful absolutely dreadful so why is that it's just he's, he the director's cut gives too much of the story away i think uh, there's much okay. more mystery around which is unusual because you cut. thought the direct the director would know better than the studio it's interesting yeah but donnie darko for me that was i remember like when i was in union stuff uh that if i was talking about my five top five films of all time yeah. that would always be somewhere oh, in there I I did, I, I, when it came out there wouldn't be you know like a month or whatever that passed or i wouldn't watch it i just yeah. in terms of the storytelling and the acting and the intrigue and it's quite melancholic like i quite like films that aren't always happy happy and have a happy ending but just the way that the the story comes full circle yeah by the end it's just i just find it fascinating it's incredible it's a very good film uh number four for me was spinal tap yeah uh rob rayner 1984 Number three, and this is one that I was surprised wasn't on your list. It's Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah, I didn't think about it because I, I just didn't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, that's the, one of the rare films that I've seen twice at the cinema. Really? Because it came out in 98. Eight, yeah. I think it must have been August or September. And I watched it at the cinema with my friends. And then I went to university a couple of weeks later. And then I watched it again because I wanted to fit in with the cool kids. Yeah. Uh, so that's the only thing I've watched twice. And of course, we when we watched it, we lived near Epping Forest, so when the guy goes, I can't fit the old of Epping Forest in my van, the whole cinema went, Let's, let's, let's. Let's, let's, let's. I just think, like, stylistically, it's 
incredible. Oh, and it looks amazing. In the 90s as well, you had a couple of these films. Uh, Train Spot is another one that comes yeah. to mind. Like these amazing, iconic British films that did so well here. Yeah. But also did so well uh, across the water. Yeah. Weirdly, because Train Spot is all weird accents yeah. and junkies and yeah. Lockstock's the same. It's like hardcore British gangster. <laughs> but it's just. It's amazing, and it's interesting as well to follow Guy Ritchie's career after that because he's essentially tried to make the same film about four times after that. He did yeah, with he's varying down levels a of bit success. Because um, Snatch is brilliant. Yeah, for me, not as good as Lockstock. Although you prefer it to Lockstock. Nah, no, no. Same. It's just got more layers. I think yeah. it's just a bit more polished. But yeah, I do. I think I prefer Lockstock over Snatch. And then Rock and Roller, which is meh. Yeah. It's, it's got its it's moments. Right. Has that got Jason Statham in it? Probably. Probably, yeah. But what's the one that does have Jason Statham in it where he's the main guy? Oh, it, was, it wasn't very good. Not Rock and Roller. Revolver. Revolver. The one where Jason Statham's the main guy in it. Yeah. Um, and as well, because like, I know you're a big fan of the Sherlock Holmes films, but I thought they were terrible. So. Oh, I love them. Mm, rubbish. Um, but I, I, I quite like The Man from Uncle, but again, it's like that kind of like... Yeah, it's more Hollywood. Exceedingly though, yeah, cool yeah, kind yeah. of stylistic thing. But... Um, I, it's weird because I remember Lockstock. I think it was one of those films where this has happened once or twice where I saw it uh, was it like 17 or 18 but I hadn't seen that many you didn't see it in the cinema then? no no too young I was too young yeah. uh, 98 I was just leaving primary school I think <laughs> I am the old man of the podcast yeah. um, but I, I remember watching it and just thinking oh, I don't really get this I'm yeah. not really into it I think I got it on DVD it for my 18th Cockney? birthday no, I just, I didn't, I just wasn't really, wasn't into the story, like, you know, like, gangsters and pimps yeah. and stuff, and I was just like, whatever. And then, a number of years later, I rewatched it, maybe when I was, like, 22 or 23. Yeah. And I was just blown away by everything, <laughs> like, how funny it was, I, I, how cool it looked. And also, as well, I love, I don't know why this washed over me the first time, but um, someone like Tarantino is a great person for having a soundtrack that is, it almost feels like it's been written by yeah. him. yeah even though none of it's by composers, yeah. to, to fit, ev like every scene in the film was written around the track of music. Yeah. And that's what Lockstock feels like. All yeah. the different parts of the music in it, building up to Zorba the Greek at the end. It's a great soundtrack. It's just <laughs> amazing. Um, and again, Trainspotting had that as well. Phenomenal soundtrack yeah. to that as well. So yeah, that's number uh, three on my list. Number two was Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, talked about. Again, another good soundtrack. Again, phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but for me, uh, surprised this uh, this wasn't on a lot of lists, which yeah. is really surprising to me. Number one for me is the Shawshank Redemption, oh. Frank Darabont's debut movie. Oh yes, yeah. which Andy Dufresne is just I, I just to me it's one of the the best films ever made, yes. hands down. Yeah, and it's just because I, I watched it again a couple of months ago for the first time, maybe like a year or so. But I'm always struck. And I always forget how uplifting it is. Like it's, it's not depressing, is it? But I mean, there's depressing moments in it, but the yeah. overall message is the message of hope, and that's the yeah. whole thing that keeps Andy going the whole way through. Yeah. And then he's eventually able to impart that to his other inmates, who yeah. become his friends. And it's such a, there's, a, it's a thing that movies try to emulate a lot, but very rarely do without seeming cheesy yeah. or pastiche. Yeah. And maybe because I'm quite misanthropic but I usually don't <laughs> want there to be happy ending things but with this like every fibre of your body is rooting for Andy and for Red and for yeah. the other inmates and for the bad people to get their comeuppance and for the good people to get out and it's, it's just such a, a beautiful piece of cinema I just think it's astonishing 
Was it Morgan Freeman's sort of biggest film at the time? Uh, well, yeah. I think his major breakthrough probably would have been Driving Miss Daisy, yes. which was about four or five years. No, maybe, maybe longer. It's like 1988, 87, 88. That That's another film I've never seen. It's good. Um, but yeah, that was when he was really starting to yeah. um, become like an A-lister because I think he'd made Prince of Thieves in 91. Oh, yes. And yeah. the Shawshank Redemption was 94. And then... Was it 94? I thought it was older than that. No, 94. Mm. Um, but that's, yeah. I mean, but there's so many others to choose from. And even on, on my, to get into my top five, I had so many that I was deliberating between, you know, the kind of like early numbers on the list. So like American Beauty, Sam Mendes' debut film. Was it? Phenomenal, yeah. I love that film. Like, I <laughs> to the soundtrack yesterday. Um, Evil Dead, Sam Raimi's debut. Yeah, I, hadn't seen, I haven't seen those ones. Clark's, Kevin Smith's debut film. True. Shaun of the Dead, Edgar Wright's debut film. I might just rewrite my list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Garden State by Zach Braff would have yep. been close to it for me. Kronos by Guillermo del Toro is amazing. I haven't seen that. Uh, Napoleon Dynamite, Jared Hess's debut nice. film. Um, but I mean, like, like there's literally... One that I was close to including, and it's not, you can't say it's a cinematic masterpiece, but like, I love it. Um, Dumb and Dumber was the debut by the Firely Brothers. Was it? Yeah. And um, ah. Tom uh, Shediak, who's done predominantly comedy films. Yeah. Although I think he just did, uh, what was it, The Big Short, which was Oscar nommed? I'm pretty yeah, sure he that, helmed no. that. But uh, Ace Ventura was his debut. It's just it's a great comedy film. <laughs> All right um, then. Terry Gilliam, who's one of my favourite directors, his first credit as a mm. feature film was uh, The Holy Grail. Monty Python and The Holy yeah, Grail. Yeah, he kind of co-directed that with the other Terry. He so, did with yeah. Terry Jones. Uh, George Lucas's T THX Eleven Thirty Eight. Never really watched good. it. Badlands by Terence Malick. Mad Max by George Miller. Uh, Mel Brooks, The Producers. That is his first film. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, the Coen Brothers' Blood Simple. Uh, Dennis Hopper's Easy Rider, Wes Craven's Last House on the Left, Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Those are the top 100. <laughs> I mean, like, there's so, there's so many, and even going up to, like, kind of more recent times, um, it, it, even from the last, like, year or so, like, John Wick, that was a debut film by ah. the, the, the two guys that directed that. The Babadook, Jennifer Kent, that was hers. Was Looper his? No, uh, but ah. his, his debut, Brick, is fantastic. Rian Johnson's okay, yeah. debut. Um, and then... Uh, one of my favourite films from last year, Ex Machina, is Alex Garland's yes. debut movie. Yep. And from this year, Tim Miller was Deadpool's yeah. uh, debut movie. So, Which I is mean, awesome. Yeah, um, so I, there's a hu huge list. And obviously, as well, what I love about, if we can blow her on trumpet for a little bit, <laughs> what I love about the movie Divers <laughs> is that, like, well, yeah, um, is that, like, we like to keep things real. Like, so we would never mm. pick, you know, obviously um, uh, well received, kind yeah. of notable films yeah. uh, for a reason that. They just, we just don't enjoy them as much as like <laughs> as action films and comedies, but um, you know things like Eraserhead, David Lynch, Twelve Angry Men, Citizen Kane, yeah. Abu de Soufflé with Jean-Luc Godard, <laughs> uh, or even like Night of the Living Dead by George Romero, which I've never seen. It's an important film. I don't think it's an amazing film, but you know for the time it's incredible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I and mean, it's an endless list, but um, yeah. Good quality top fives there. Yeah. So what should we move on to? News or trailers? Should we go into trailers? Let's go to trailers. Let's yeah, mix it up a, a bit. Trailers. I yesterday watched the absolutely worst trailer I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> what was that for? For absolutely fabulous, the movie. Yeah, yeah. I just it's the trailer makes it look awful. Yeah, the, it's it's poorly edited. Um, it really is. Really badly edited. Like the the first cut. 
you see the car driving, which is a, a rubbish shot to start with, and then she suddenly falls out the car, but in a really sort of clunky way. She literally just falls off to the side. Yeah, right? and, just, and then there's a whole party scene in there, which has got some of the worst chroma keying <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it do- doesn't even look like they've tried to finish it. Yeah. Uh, and then Kate Moss gets killed. Well, supposedly. supposedly. And then they never mention that for the rest of the trailer. Yeah. So they're like, what? What is, what is, are they running away from the police? Because they, it, it just, Joanna Lumley looks really good in it. Uh-huh. Like she, because she's a brilliant actress, but J- Jennifer Saunders doesn't look that good at the acting in it. Mm. So I'm just like, why, one, why have they done it? Well, the, t- the two biggest things for me were, one, why now? Yeah. Like, surely the day of Ab Fab would have been to make this yeah. 15 years yes. old, or if not longer, yeah. you know, like 90s. Also, as well, it looks like it's conforming to, the sadly rather large trend of British TV comedies yeah. that are brilliant on the small screen that look absolutely horrendous when you put them on the no big pun screen. Intended. <laughs> but like uh, even thing you know things that like were that are historical gold. Yeah. Um, in the UK, so things like Ab Fab or I and Ali G. Yeah. It made a terrible transition to the big yeah. screen. But I mean, there's been so many of these. Dad's Armies as well had. Shocking movies this year. For yeah, but that's not the original cast. No, but I'm just like, what, like, why? I don't know what's driving this to do to do to, for them to make it now. Like, what, where's the market? Like, I don't, I don't know. know. It's just weird, isn't it? What? No one's been screaming. Even you could even make the point for it. See if they released it four or five years ago when mm. Sex and the City came out or as like a kind of antidote to that. Is... Exactly. You could understand a bit more of the market, and I think yep. there'd be much more space for them to make something that was like a pastiche of those things. Yeah, I just I don't know why they're making this, and it doesn't look good. No, it looks um, which is certainly not going to go and watch. A it. real shame because um, I, I I really liked Ab Fab. I thought it was a great yeah. TV show. Oh, how the mighty have fallen! <laughs> uh, some other ones I saw were Last X Men trailer, which I think it looks quite cool. I, you're yeah, not. You're not that excited about it. It just looks a bit. I just don't know where it fits in with the whole timeline of what we've seen before. But I think was that at the point of Days of Future Passes that there are, are alternate timelines to stuff. Like, Maybe yeah. I just find it a little bit confusing. Yeah. But if Wolverine, everything's better with the Wolverine in it. Yeah. That's why you're sitting over in the corner making this podcast. Shing. <laughs> 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 um, but I'll still go and watch it. Oh yeah, definitely. When's it out? Uh, June, I think. Ah, oh, well, I thought I might, might be able to see it this weekend, but obviously no. not. Uh, obviously, Independence Day trailer. I, I, I am Can't getting wait. so ridiculously excited. I think we'll this. have to go and see it together. Definitely. Yeah. That should be a podcast special. Yeah. <laughs> I just think as well, because for me, that was one of the first, I'm sure I've said this in the podcast before, but I was I was 11 when I went to see that. Okay, I would have been... Maybe just, six, no, just before I turned 12. Yeah. Just before I turned 12. Um, and it's the first time I remember going to the cinema to see a summer blockbuster yeah. in the cinema in the middle of the summer and uh, it just it blew me away and it's been one of my favourite films from that period of when yes. I was growing up like, mine, just... mine would equivalent would have been Jurassic Park yeah that was another one for me yeah because um, I was young enough to go and see that in the cinema because it was a PG uh, but yeah Independence Day but the thing is like when they said they were making Independence Day true, I was like mm, yeah. okay and then it was like Jeff Goldblum's come back and I was like mm. Okay. <laughs> uh, but Will Smith's not sending up. Ah, oh, well, that's a shame. Um, but then, like, President Watmore is back in it and stuff like that. And I'm just yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah. So 
And then when I saw the first trailer, I was like, yes, yes, everything about this looks amazing. And then every subsequent trailer that's come out, I'm just like, yeah. they look as if they're knocking this out of the park. Because yeah. the thing is with a movie like that, you want it to be self-aware enough that it is ridiculous. Yeah. So we don't care that none of the physics makes sense. <laughs> just give us a good old-fashioned summer blockbuster. It's and landed it in the Atlantic. Where? The whole Atlantic. It's <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Uh, I can't wait. Yeah. I think it looks fantastic. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Um, Jason Bourne. Yeah. It looks good. I, I think it looks good. I, I, I've been a big fan of the Bourne series anyway. Yeah. I didn't see the most recent one with Jeremy Renner, but that was like no, a spin-off anyway, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Not really that fast. No. But yeah, I'll, I'd always be up for yeah. He's been doing Bourne it for 15 years now. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I think he was 30 when he started. He's 45 now. Is he? Yeah. I hope I look that good when I'm 45. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it looks good. Uh, I don't really know what it's about, but... Oh, Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne. Kicking ass. Yeah, beating people um, up. Magnificent Seven? Yeah. I don't know. In, I haven't seen The Magnificent Seven or Seven Samurai, so I don't really know what the story is, but yeah. it's about revenge or well, something. Well, I mean, The Magnificent Seven is a phenomenal movie. Like, yeah. It's one of the seminal Western films. Yeah ever made and it's incredible as is The Seven Samurai's brilliant film but this is a remake of a remake yeah and I don't know it just looks like you know there was this weird spate a couple of years ago where they took all the classic horror films and remade them just to make them look slightly better yeah when they were just CGI shot for shot remakes that weren't scary yeah um, like Nightmare on Elm Street and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and all those kind of things but and this kind of has a little bit of the same feeling to it, although I think the cast is good. Like yeah. I, I, Vince D'Onofrio and Chris Pratt from Jurassic World are both in it again together. Uh, I, I'd love Ethan Hawke. I'd watch anything yeah. that he's in, and I think Denzel's pretty cool as well. Yeah. It's also got a South Korean actor in it called Lee Byung Hung, <laughs> who's in uh, quite a, a few uh, South Korean movies. That I think are absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So I'm just really excited to see him get like yeah. a bit of screen time in a, in a big, big US Hollywood release. Um, I'll definitely go and see it, but the trailer just makes it look like it's. They're just remaking it because they can. Like, I don't. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's going from a crappy ab fab trailer to that trailer. Yeah, that's a very well made trailer. Yeah, I don't know. I'll reserve judgment. I want it to be good because I love the original film. But. Yeah. And the last one I saw was Doctor Strange, which you're not nah, interested. Moving on. Yeah. <sighs> um, the only other trailer that I saw which I made us watch just before we started, was the trailer for Snowden. I know you're not one for political thrillers, but I actually think this looks really exciting. It's an Oliver Stone movie. Mm. Yeah, again, I was listening to the Nerdist podcast with Gary Oldman, mm. and um, he was talking about when they were making JFK, mm. so it was Oliver Stone, wasn't mm-hmm. it? And apparently Oliver Stone was very much like, you have to believe that this is all a conspiracy. <laughs> and Gary Oldman was saying that he couldn't go on to set and go, you know what, I think oh, Lee Harvey Oswald did it because <laughs> he was doing his own research into it at the time. So taking it from that is that he probably, it looks like he's over, might overplay the conspiracy part of it. I, he's definitely someone that's, do you know he's a war veteran though? Oliver Stone? Yeah. No. He was in Vietnam ah, okay. um, and was basically like massively pro-war until yeah. he went out there and then came back from it. And that's when he made platoons off his own oh, kind okay. of experiences. Yeah. Um, he did that um, not to beg up other podcasts, but the Nerdist podcast, he's in an episode of that, which is oh, okay. really interesting as well. Yeah. And you 
do get an insight into his mind that he's maybe got a bit of a... Who's the British guy that's like a... Oh, David Icke. Yeah. yeah. He's a bit like a kind of American <laughs> David Icke. But I quite like characters like that because yeah. like, it's way more fun when you, there's like conspiracy theories. And he's obviously incredibly intelligent and um, really does not believe in the kind of government that we have in a lot of the Western world and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. But um, I just thought it looked quite interesting. Like, and I like Jason, yeah, Jason Gordon-Levitt. So. Yeah. Doing That'd his be best Keanu Reeves impression. He, he sounds a bit like that. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> right, let's move on to some news. So, Zombieland 2 should be suiting this summer, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Is there, is there, I mean, has the window not passed for that? I think it probably has. Because it, the original idea was it's supposed to be a TV series. Yeah. Which is why they had the kill of the week yeah. on the original film. It came out before Walking Dead, didn't it? Yeah. So, Quite a few years before Walking Dead. So I think, I think now post Walking Dead, yeah. it's a bit like post Batman Begins. They've they've made the genre serious. Yeah. So now if you're going to start making it funny again, are people going to go for it? I just, I, I mean, so who's already been in? Is anyone confirmed from the original film? So no. there's Woody Harrelson in no. Apparently they said they they would do it again. Yeah, but that's not the same as. Because they did a, a Zombieland TV, they did try a pilot. I, think, I remember that, yeah. And it was dreadful, yeah. absolutely dreadful. Um, so it could be, it could be a completely different creative team, I don't know, but... I, I don't hold high I hopes for something like that, I don't think it'll be that good. It, it never screamed out for, I want to see more of this, no. uh, when I watched it at the time. In the no, I mean, Zombieland is a fantastic oh, yeah, film, yeah, yeah. and yeah. It, it's incredibly funny and very well done, but I just, yeah. uh, unless you've got the cast coming back and there's some sort of developing story arc yeah. I, I don't know if I'd really want to see it again because it's, I'm like, like, it's like Attack the Block is an amazing film it doesn't, doesn't need it a sequel it doesn't need a sequel no, no I agree with you no. um, so that's that uh, Bill and Ted 3 mm-hmm. shooting soon hopefully yeah. in London is it? yeah apparently a lot oh, of it's okay. set in England because the babes they're English of course yeah <laughs> yeah oh wow are the babes going to be back in it? I hope so I don't know if which the actresses are playing actions, but, yeah. okay of course, uh, Rufus won't be in it. No, no, no. So the so dearly departed George Carlin's no yeah. longer with it. So hopefully they'll have some sort of decent way of CGI dealing with that. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Uh, so that should be good. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Because that, that was my film when I was growing up. Yeah. I'm older than you. Like that and Wayne's Again, World. it's just uh, because for me, most of the time, these kind of things are about the diminishing returns of previous glories. Yeah. And the same way that actually it was really interesting. So I... I sure I mentioned it in the podcast, but a couple of months ago, I did eventually watch a sequel to Dumb and Dumber, Dumb yes. and Dumber 2. Yeah. And it's nowhere near as good as the first one, but it's not actually that bad a film, I didn't think. No, like I, it was, I haven't seen all of it, but I saw most of it. it, it it's funny. Like, I thought I yeah. thought it was quite a funny story, um, and there's a lot of really good moments in it. It's, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not a great movie, but it's not, it's not a terrible movie. No. But I'm just like, the, the time to make that would have been 15 years ago, like, yeah. when there was a demand for it, and the longer these films go on, the more the cult status uh, grows, grows yeah. the harder it is to try and win over these kind of like hardcore fans. And I think that's where Star Wars a lot of the time falls down as well, because it's been such a long time yep. between the end of uh, Return of the Jedi and the start of the prequels, then which were rubbished, and yep. then Force Awakens for yep. that. So I, I think it's all, you're always going to be up against it. And I think something like Bill and Ted, which has got such a cult following, I, myself included in that, I think, especially the first one. That, yeah. The second one's great, but I love the first yeah. one more. Um, I just, yeah, 
I'm nervous. We'll wait and see. Hopefully it'll be good. And um, more Ghostbusters stuff. Mm. Apparently it's been, the director said, Ghostbusters is a reboot. It's not set in the same universe. Right. So that kind of sucks a little bit. Yeah. And there was a featurette featuring um, Chris Hemsworth. And yeah. so they showed a lot of his character. If the, the, the whole thing about the Ghostbusters being women, mm. there's a whole backlash. Oh, it's sexist. What they've, and they've, what they've done with Chris Hemsworth's character is made him a bimbo. Yeah. So they've been, so they just completely reversed it, but not in a, they've reversed, done reverse sexism. Kind so, of, I mean, I don't really have a problem with making him a bimbo character, but the thing was like, Janine in the original Ghostbusters movie, yeah. she's not really a bimbo. No, she's, not at all. She's kind of self, uh, self-obsessed, Yeah. but she's just really moody and like yeah. couldn't care less. And she takes a job purely as a payday. Yep. But then her character really develops, especially into the second one. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I don't know. I'd, whatever, but like, it, it's, um, I don't know, just the more I see about Ghostbusters, the more I think that it's, an opportunity that's been missed because mm. I actually think it's a really cool idea like subverting the whole thing and having um, four um, female actors yep. taking the main roles not not guys and obviously they're making a statement with that and they've been very clear with that from, from the front but I just I couldn't care like you could put four dogs in it <laughs> I just want it to be a good Ghostbusters movie exactly. I couldn't care less if it's yep. all male or all female yep. um, and it is cool that they're doing that but I just the more I see of it the more I've got a bit of a question mark about it because again with Bill and Ted all I want is is to be good yeah. I just want it to be a good Ghostbusters movie yeah. and the, the trailer the more you watch it you just think oh, it could go either way and also as well I think it does kind of go back to I, I, I think it's a wider problem with a lot of American comedies where and I don't know how much of the original Ghostbusters was um kind of freestyled because I'm sure with someone like Bill Murray on set and stuff there will be people yeah um, apparently it wasn't it was fairly tight but unless what they came up with was a lot better exactly which is yeah. the way that you should be doing it but Paul Feig's part of a, a generation of directors who I think make films that are funny but it's basically lightly edited improv yeah the whole scene with um, uh, Rick Moranis you know when he's introducing people to the party and he's, he's just telling people what their jobs are yeah. you just improvise a whole lot but that I think that's absolutely fine, but that's not an integral part no, of the story. No. You know, Judd Apatow, I think, is guilty of this as well. Cause, and it's not to say that I don't love Judd Apatow films, because I think some of them are absolutely hysterical, but there's a lot of scenes where it just feels like people are riffing, and sometimes there's no payoff to it. Yes. And just from what I've seen, and again, Chris Hemsworth is a great actor, but from the little vignette thing that they were showing about his character and what they're doing, yeah. it's basically they're sitting him down in the scene and saying, you just need to be a bimbo, like, yeah. just do something. And sometimes that'll land and sometimes it won't. But I'm like, that's not what you should be doing to try and get the comedy from your film. Your comedy should be coming in Ghostbusters from the story and yep. the way that they're like these four weirdos, like who are <laughs> the city's only hope against the the, the spiritual activity going on. Like that's, yep. that's what Ghostbusters is about. And uh, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know if they're going down that road, which oh, is really disappointing. Know. Oh yeah. More I see, the more I'm not really keen. I will go to the cinema to see it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, that's all the news I've got. Well, it, I mean, carrying on... This, uh, right, I want to say something about the Movie Digest, and we've been saying this for probably about a year and a half now. Right. People are only... <laughs> Have we got any listeners? <laughs> that, that's the first question. No, but um, you know how every time we record, because we record fairly sporadically, so yeah. like, maybe every two weeks or yeah. something, sometimes even longer, yeah. maybe four months if I'm Finn is an international man of mystery. <laughs> uh, I never know when he's in the country. Well, but... Um, We've been saying for quite a long time, because every time we come back to record, somebody major from the world of film seems to have died, right? But 2016 is really turning into an anisolary bliss for the celebrity, because how many amazing people have died so far this year? Yeah, like, the BBC and Barry and Terry Wogan. 78 notable people have died already. It's crazy. And it's we seem mental. to be doing it every time we come on. And, yeah. and this, this time is no different. So we had the really tragic news. Uh, we'll have to turn this into another section. But that's that, yeah, <laughs> death, death of the poly, death yeah. of the, the the week. I don't yeah. know. Um, uh, very sad, actually. Not much to do with film, but uh, Victoria Wood, who's a comedian that I yeah. watched a lot growing up because my mum was such a big fan, uh, sadly passed away after a short battle with cancer. But the biggest one definitely is was Prince. Yep. passing away. These yep. are fifty-seven. It's not that old. It's oh. a suspected drug overdose. Really, but prescription apparently. Well, that seems to be the way to go now, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, cocaine. No. Subverting it as yeah. usual. Um, but I mean, I'm, he's a massive loss. But again, like my my biggest exposure to to him was Batman, <laughs> of course. Um, which I actually watched it recently uh, before he passed away. Yeah. So it was interesting that it happened over and about then. But I was just thinking, oh, this soundtrack is just like it's good. It's amazing. It's so good. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's so of its time. But yeah. It's so good. Like bat dance, just. Ah, incredible. <laughs> and actually, I was watching something uh, recently, which... Have you ever seen An Evening with Kevin Smith, the first one? No. Uh, I, how... What year did it come out? Uh, like 2000, maybe? 2001? Yeah, I think I watched... I remember... I think he's done three of them so yeah, far. Yeah, I think I might have... Because I remember seeing it, and he brought out Jason Mewes, and I, we hadn't seen him for a while, and he looked a bit weird or something. Yeah. I, I, I do remember watching it, but I can't remember any of the content. But he's got... Um, it, it's it's fast. It's, it's about three hours long, and it, yeah. it's it's an amalgamation of a, a tour that he did across uni campuses in, oh, in yeah. the states. Yeah, and they basically ask him questions, but some of the questions, the answer to the questions, will last like half an hour. Oh, yeah, yeah. And but it's just really interesting because he talks about um, the Superman movie that he wrote that never saw the light of day. Yeah. Um, he talks about Tim Burton, which is hilarious, <laughs> and like the kind of feud he's had with him for a number of years. But he um, talks about Prince as well. Yeah. So. There's this he whole... worked on a documentary for about a week or so, wasn't it? Something yeah, like he yeah. worked on a documentary with Prince for a week about this album, which was a religious album. Ah, okay. It never really saw the light of day. And yeah. it's, just, it's, fa- it's a fascinating insight into the kind of guy that Prince was like. And because Kevin Smith is such a good raconteur, yeah. and he puts in all these amazing details. If you've never seen it, I would heartily recommend... Uh, just go onto YouTube and Google Kevin Smith Prince documentary yeah. and you'll get the full like half hour video. It's like 25 minutes long. Yeah. But it's absolutely fascinating <laughs> and so funny. But he, he's a real loss to the world of music. Although he hasn't produced a good song for a number of years. I don't think that really matters. When he's <laughs> someone that... Because um, you could possibly argue the same with someone like David Bowie, where mm. he was still making music. And actually, the album that he released this year, just before his death, Did you listen to it. I, I, I thought it was quite interesting, yeah, but it, it would never be anything that's close to you know, no, like a Life no. on Mars or um, Heroes or something like that. But you, that doesn't take away from the impact that they had on music, music, and and kind of wider creative spheres beyond that. My name is JQ, and I am funky. <laughs> 
doesn't quite work. I wouldn't give up the day job, JP. <laughs> um, the only other bit of news that I saw, which uh, was confirmed yesterday, which I'm actually quite excited about, is that Alicia Vikander, Ooh. she's in Ex Machina and she's oh, in Man From yes, Uncle yes, as well. Yes, she's been cast to play Lara, Lara Croft, Croft in the new Tomb Raider movies. Because mm, it was talking about Daisy Riley doing it. Daisy Ridley. Daisy Ridley. Mm, yeah. I don't think she would have been as good for the role. I, I just... Because Alicia Vikander is a very, very good actress. Yeah, I haven't seen any of her work, I don't think. I still can't believe you haven't seen Ex Machina. No, it was my favourite film from last year. I shall, I shall get it on Netflix. Yes. yes. <laughs> it might actually be on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> the Netflix bay. But um, I'm really excited by that. Yep. I think Lara Croft has got... A, a, it's a huge untapped resource of making amazing adventure movies. Yes. Indiana Jones-esque type yep. things. That's what I want. And I think she's, uh, it's a very bold choice because I think she's more, a lot of the stuff she's in, they're kind of like uh, very well received. She's an Oscar winner, isn't she? Yeah, she did. She won yeah. the Oscar this year for the one that she's in with Eddie Redmayne, the Danish girl. Yes. Yeah. I think she won the Oscar for that. But, um, best supporting actress. Well, she knows what she knows what she's doing, so it's um, good. So yeah, I'm excited by yeah. that. I think good. it'll be good. So what films have you seen? Not many. No, not like the last one where we saw loads. Yeah, I mean we'd seen two films at yeah. the cinema. Unprecedented. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only uh, film that I've seen at the cinema since we last recorded was actually just the other night. Um, I went to see a showing of a hun- Hungarian film called Son of Saul. <laughs> and we're not pretentious here on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, um, it, this is coming full circle from the start of the podcast. It's a directorial debut of a Hungarian director called Laszlo Nemes, and uh, it won the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film ah, at this year's ceremony. Okay, um, it's it, it's very good. It's yeah. uh, it's set. It it kind of follows his character Saul uh, over the course of a day and a half, and he is uh, a Jew that's at Auschwitz. Okay, so this the, is a this is a happy ending, is well, it? <laughs> um, uh, kind of about 1944, so towards the last, the later days of the, the concentration camps, and yeah. he is a Jewish guy that's working as part of the Sonderkommando, which were a group of Jews that were basically forced to work in the concentration camps ah, okay. to help file people in, to clean the debris, to fire, you know, call up the fires yeah. and bury people and stuff before they ultimately themselves were killed. So I mean, it's pretty heavy subject matter. Um, and I don't want to give too much of the story away because the actual narrative of it is the film because yeah. it just follows one guy over a, a kind of day and a half. But um, it, it, it was really good. And obviously because the subject matter is quite heavy. Yeah. But they make a really in- interesting stylistic choice, which is the... I don't know if it's the way it was filmed, but the, the way the movie was presented to us and I saw it in the BFI, it's in four by three aspect ratio. That's an unusual choice. It is. And also... Ev- Pretty much every single shot follows the face of the main actor. Okay. So, um, so it's like it's strapped you, to his chest. Um, kind of, because yeah. it, it does move away. So when he moves around the corner of a scene, sometimes it'll pause and then come behind his back and then it will come back. And if it's looking from his point of view, mm. like if he's looking at something and the camera needs to show you what's happening, you see it from his point of view looking out, right. then coming back. But for the majority of it, it's following his face. So there's very little that you see around about the frame because it's a very shallow depth of field yeah. and a lot of it's blurred which is an interesting stylistic choice because most Holocaust movies will focus on the atrocities happening around yeah. about them yeah. and it doesn't shy away from that because he's in 
the gas chambers and clean blood off the, the floor and is it black and, and white? No, 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 no. It's in color, but um, but they're all kind of blurred and not in focus, so that you're it's more focusing on the, the human yes. aspect of it That's rather good, than the atrocities yeah, idea, the bit, yeah. which is I, I've never seen that done before and it really does hone you in on the kind of human mm. tragedy of what was going on not just the actual physical atrocities that were yeah. happening um, although as a counterpoint to that weirdly they've with the sound effects in particular they try and let you hear a lot more of what's going on uh, off screen yeah, yeah. so there's like the villain screens in there and there's all this the sound design sounds a bit forced to me so there's things happening and you're like that doesn't sound like it's real like people wouldn't be doing that or saying yeah. that or reacting that way and those things wouldn't happen and I just that a little bit to me out of it but um, all in all it's really beautifully shot it's really interesting the, the main guy that's in it um, Gejo uh, Rurig is a Hungarian actor that hasn't acted in anything for 15 years. <laughs> right, okay. Um, so he's like 48, he's a poet living in New York, but he's Hungarian and uh, hasn't acted in anything since 1990. And this was his first ever feature film. And he okay. really, oh, he has to, he, ca he literally carries the film on yeah. his shoulders because it's on his face <laughs> the whole time and he's astonishingly good at it. So it was weird that he didn't get any part of the, you know, Best Actor nominations or anything. Um, but I definitely recommend it. It's, obviously not the most uplifting of them. So not a first date movie then? No, no, not by any stretch, but it's... it's Netflix it's and me. Cry. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix and Cry, yeah, definitely. And the only other film I saw recently was a film that was recommended to me by a friend, and I don't know why. Are they still your friend? <laughs> yeah, but like, because um, I love sci-fi movies. So yep. it was a film that I hadn't even heard of, and it stars Ethan Hawke, as well as, it's a very small cast, Ethan Hawke. Uh, Sarah Snook, who I'd never heard of before, and Noah Taylor, mm. just the three of them. And it's this film called Predestination. Predestination? Yeah. So it's it's billed as a science fiction mystery thriller, but essentially <laughs> it's a time travel movie. Okay. And I can't really talk about it that much without spoiling the entire film. <laughs> just It's one of those films you kind of need to see, to believe. Like, it's based on a short story, right. which I haven't read, which is called... All, all them zombies or something like that. It, it doesn't have any zombies in it. Right. But, um, it, it's it's a really interesting concept, but ultimately I don't think it quite worked. Okay. But I would definitely recommend watching it because there's parts of that film you're just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that couldn't possibly happen. I mean, how do you, can I, what? Um, <laughs> so it, it's a bit of a brain melter. But that sounds yeah. good. Yeah, you should definitely check it out. Um, so going back to the start of why we chose the top five, yes, so the legend of Barney Thomas, yes, which is Robert Carlyle's director yeah. of View. So I was on Netflix the other day looking for something to watch, and it came. It was the top thing on there. I said, like, Robert Carlyle. Okay, let's have a look. Emma Thompson. Okay, who else has it got in it? Ray Winston. I'm watching this. Mm -hmm. uh, it had four or five stars on it. So I was like, I've never heard of this film. I started yeah. watching it. And immediately the cinematography was amazing. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he worked on Sherlock, um, oh, really? Game of Thrones, and he's now shooting Suicide Squad. Oh, wow. So okay. it looks brilliant. So the premise is Robert Carlyle is working in a barbershop in Glasgow. Right. And basically, he has no friends. Everybody hates him. <laughs> um, and at the same time, there's a serial killer out chopping people's feet off and mailing it in the post to different places. Okay. So you think it's him. Right. And then he does kill someone by mistake. You're like, is, it, is he the serial killer? What, what's going on? And then 
um, Ray Winston's as a policeman who's investigating the um, serial killers. So Ray Winston's on top of Barney Thomas thinking he's done the... It's such a good film. I don't want to say too much to give it away, but Emma Thompson plays Robert Carlyle's mum. Right. She was almost unrecognisable at the start because she's like, this old guy's with your mum. She's only two years older than me. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Um, It makes Glasgow look like a proper shithole. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you didn't need to try that hard to do that. Yeah, you definitely got to watch it. It's on Netflix. It was so good. And it's, it's, and when you find out, who or what the serial killer is, you're like, oh, that's really good. Okay. Um, but it's really well made. Ray Winston cranks it up to 110% Winston. Does he do, is he a Cockney? Though? He's a Cockney. Because he can't do the Glasgow accent. No, because there's one scene where he's uh, walking down the street and he's walked past these sort of um, burly men. He goes, Glasgow's fucking shit old. <laughs> and looks right at him. They sort of like, and he just flashes his badge at him. Because he's a cop. And they're like, oh, a big man with a badge. Um, but it's, it's really, really, it's really funny. Okay. Uh, really well shot. The ending, when you get to the end scene, there's only one way it can work. Right. And they do do it that way, but. Not in a way where it's like, oh, there's a cop out that had to do it. They, they did it in a funny way. It's got Ashley Jensen in it as well. Oh, yeah. She's brilliant in it. She's, not, she's just swearing at everyone. Amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a really good film. Cool. Definitely go and watch it. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. It's that. really brilliant. <laughs> uh, we also watched on Netflix Red Dragon. Red Dragon. Hannibal Lecter. Oh, so the prequel with, to... With Ruth Baines? Yeah. That's a fantastic film. I know. I thought... I remember... I thought it was the one with Gary Oldman where he cuts his own face off. No, that's off. Hannibal. So I was watching it thinking, oh, and I couldn't remember, I, I can remember the first scene where they're in, the, in his study and he stabs Edward Norton. And I can re- vaguely remember, I can remember the end yeah. where uh, someone goes, hey, Hannibal, there's someone here to call you some, someone from the FBI. What's her name? I remember that, I can't remember any of the rest of the film. Mm. So it was like I was watching it for the first time again. And it's so good. I, I think it's a huge so underrated film. It's a, is it Ridley Scott? No, Ridley Scott did Hannibal. Yeah, right? I don't know who did this one. I can't remember who did this. Uh, yeah, it's uh, um, yeah, it's Brett Ratner. Yeah, that did it. Yeah, so and, which is weird because he's not. He did Rush Hour, right? <laughs> and he did X Men Three, which is dreadful. <laughs> yeah. But Red, Red Dragon's such a good film. Yeah, it's quite old as well now. Two thousand and two. Yeah, and yeah. Edward Norton doesn't look any different now because <laughs> we need from Birdman to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Ray Fiennes is brilliant, oh, and also amazing. as well because there's uh, Emily Watson that's in it because she's blind in it, isn't she? Yes, yeah, but, she's good. There's a re- it's a really interesting dynamic the kind of relationship between her and Ray Fiennes yeah. and, and it, the cool thing about the Hannibal Lecter movies is that no one makes you feel safe no. like even the good characters you think well they could go off the wall at any point and obviously because there's serial killers and stuff in it but y- you're never entirely sure what the relationship is between any character at any yeah. point and that's what I loved about um, Red. I think Red Dragon's a hugely underrated film yeah it's brilliant Ray Fiennes is really good he's really uh like you wouldn't mess with him in the film. No. But I've seen him in the street and I could have him in a fight. <laughs> He's really short and looked Is really, he? Yeah, he came out of, um, it was on Wardour Street, he came out of a building I was going into. He just looked, he was a lot shorter than me and really meek. Okay. So I was like, I, I, could, I could take Voldemort. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was good. And I also saw Kung Fu Panda 3, 
um, which is all right. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, the, the bad guy, which is um, J.K. Simmons, is it? Yeah. Um, the bad guy's too funny. Okay. So... It's not menacing enough. Yeah, not menacing. And just It felt like a, a long um, episode of the TV show. Okay. Um, is there a TV show? Yeah, there's a Kung Fu Panda TV show, which is not voiced by any of the actors, <laughs> but you can't tell. Really? Yeah, the guy that does Jack Black is... And Dustin Hoffman is pitch perfect. Really? Because when I was... When they were watching it, I was like... Have they really done it? They don't usually do. And as I looked it up, no, didn't do it. Wow. Yeah. Because it's funny when you get those things. Because I remember, uh, like when I was growing up, Aladdin was a, a big film that had been out in the cinema. Yeah. And then the Aladdin TV show came out. Yeah. And but I was very much aware that none of the voice actors were people, apart from the genie does sound quite like Robin Williams. It's, it's um, not Homer Simpson. Dan Castle in it. Yeah. Was that? Yeah. I didn't know that. But um, one of the interesting ones is uh, Toy Story. Yeah. Because the Toy Story movies, Woody is voiced by Tom Hanks. Yeah. But in all of the video games and made-for-TV things, and stuff, it's his brother that yep. does all the voice of Woody. It, what's his name, Richard? Something like yeah. that. I can't remember. <laughs> but I'm just like, well, that's really cool. Because like, yeah. obviously his brother is just using his genetics <laughs> yeah. to get this job. And, yep. But like, he has to be good at it to do mm-hmm. it. But I'm just like, that's really cool. That, like Tom Hanks isn't contractually obliged to do that. So yep. his brother gets his whole career like voicing <laughs> Woody. And I just yeah. think that's cool. It's great. Uh, and I did watch a bit of Predator as well. That's just such oh, a good film. You actually text me when you were watching it. You were like, bloody brilliant movie. Knock, knock. <laughs> oh, stick around. It's one of the most quotable films oh. ever. It's amazing. When I was watching it, I thought the, the catchphrase didn't start coming in until they get to the, the village scene. And then there's just like catchphrase, catchphrase, oh, catchphrase. It's amazing, man. It's interesting as well because Arnold Schwarzenegger said that actually it, it was a new generation of Predator fans. So when it first came out, a lot of people uh, remember you know specific lines in it. Yeah. But he said, "Get to the chopper" yeah. has only really been a line from the last like ten years or so that people uh, say back okay. at him. Yeah. So it's like it's a whole generation of other people doing it. Um, there was uh, a podcast that I listened to. Uh, it's, it's all about football, but they it, it sometimes do. Um, kind of like starting 11s but based on um, puns of players name yeah. and one was the Arnold Schwarzenegger 11 <laughs> and the, the best one was a striker that used to play for Newcastle called Michael Chopra <laughs> so his name was Michael Gatto the Chopra <laughs> also interesting about Predator is the music was done by the same guy that did Back to the Future was it really? and they're only about two years apart so if you listen to the music from Predator which you probably know quite well mm-hmm. if you listen, get rid of the, the Predator bit it's, it does sound like Back to the Future. Really? Yeah, it's the same sort of horn, military-esque yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's quite interesting. <laughs> so I think we've got to the end of Studio 2's episode of The Movie Digest. Yes. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. My bacon roll has worn off, so I'm going to go and have another one. <laughs> <laughs> so it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Ciao. Bye. Well, thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you want to listen to more podcasts that I do, Go and check out my website, jamesquinton.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Or come and see me do some stand-up. That would be nice. There should be a gigless on the website as well. Thanks.